Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. like to do something a little bit different today because today we will finish off First Thessalonians. Um, we've been on First Thessalonians for a while here at our church where we've been studying through the text and studying through the passage, um, a different style maybe than what um, we've grown accustomed to, but it's, uh, it's been very challenging and fun. And uh, we're going to start off where we left off last week. So I, I just want to read to you uh, the text and, um, and then we'll pray. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. I love that Betsy got into verse 14 because we're going to be getting into uh, some of this today. He says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourself. I'm in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, verse 14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And then he says, brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under the oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. Paul's like, swear to me that you're going to read this out loud. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this letter as we've jumped into the first letter to the church of Thessalonica. Lord, who's in the area of modern day Greece as we've studied this from week one all the way to today. And Lord, we pray that in these words that you would... Um, Minister to our hearts, Lord, if anyone falls under anything under this letter, that we would really see it, Lord God, for where we're at. That, Lord, when it was written and to who it was written to, by who it was written from, Lord God, it's still alive and powerful to us today. And that, Lord, it would mean something to us, that it would bring encouragement, that it would bring growth. And that, Lord, we would really see our lives aligned to this scripture. We thank you, Lord. I pray for distractions and for worries and for the heaviness of heart. I pray, Lord God, that today you would make our hearts light in, Lord God, and our thoughts, Lord God, clear, and our distractions would be gone, that we would be fully focused on your word and on your presence here today. We love you, Lord. We honor you. It's in Jesus Christ, and together we say amen. You may be seated. Give God some praise as you sit down. He's worthy. Um, as I said, we're going we're gonna to continue here on uh, first uh, Thessalonians uh, chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, hopefully you're already opened up, um, or your smart device, or whatever it is um, that you have, but it's important that you open up. I think it's, uh, it's so, oh my goodness, it's so good. Don't do this to me now. It's, whatever. It's so good to have it there as well. 
So, you know, when you use technology, sometimes technology does not want to work with you. Here we go. So last time we were uh, in this letter, we stopped in verse 11 of chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians. And we spoke about the coming of the Lord and we spoke about our resurrection. And we ended with Paul's words to the church. And Paul's words to the church, if you remember, was to encourage or to comfort, to comfort each other with these words. And the words that Paul was talking about was like, one day we're going to be in the sky with Jesus and those who have gone before us. One day we're going to die and resurrect. And Paul says, encourage each other through this and in this. For those that are outside of Christ, this is worrisome. For those that don't know the gospel and don't know Jesus, their death or the coming of the Lord is scary for them because they feel like they're not ready or they feel like what's going to happen to me in this eternity or what others would call the afterlife. But for the believer, Paul says, encourage, comfort each other, edify one another, build one another, and remind one another of his promise of eternity with him. And that's what Paul says. And today we pick up right where we left off. And we're going to start in verse 12. And we're going to read through the rest of this chapter. And if I were to title this message anything, it's hard for me to title it. So the only way that I can title this is Paul's final advice. And specifically, it's to the church of Thessalonica, but I think he would write the same thing to us today. And I love as we start off, I'm going to start, I'm going to read from the New Living, but I will start off in verse 12 and 13 through the English Standard. And look how the English Standard puts it. He says, we ask you, brothers, respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and, the, and, and admonish you. Verse 13, and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And be at peace among yourselves. I pause there for a moment because you start to see as Paul is giving his final advice, he takes a moment to focus on the leadership of the church. And we're going to learn a little bit through the flow of this text of, of what advice does Paul want to give to a church. And here we are as a church and we could still take some of this advice. We could still take some of this teaching. And as Paul does so well here, he says, let me describe these leaders. And he's pointing to the church, and he's really describing even pastors in this text. And he says, number one, the leaders, here's what they are. They labor among you. Number two, they're over you in the Lord. <clears throat> and number three, they admonish you. We see all of that in verse 12. Leaders labor among you, are over you in Christ, and they admonish you. This is something that makes sense that Paul would write this to the church of Thessalonica. Because he does the same thing to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21. Paul writes to them and he says this in Ephesians. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The same author is writing from the same heart to the people of God. To recognize the leadership of others. To submit to church leaders. And, and, and I like this because what is the heart of Paul and really the heart of Christ in this letter and in this text? I believe it's this. It's to fight off individualism. That's what it is. 
to fight off the rejection of authority. We live in a time where people reject authority. They, they come against authority. God forbid if someone falls under authority and Paul says, no, there is spiritual authority in the church, fall and submit under it. And that's the heart of the gospel. That's the heart of what Paul is saying here. And he says, fight off your individualism and the rejection of authority and honor leaders whose authority is from the Lord. It's, it's a beautiful passage. It's something that you don't have to um, exhaust it because it's so exhausted and beautifully written already in Scripture. So, so, so as we honor individuals who do the work of the Lord, how do we honor them? How do, in Paul's words, esteem our leaders? He says, very highly in love. So to start off, I'll tell you what not to do. Or how not to do it. Ready? Number one, do not esteem anyone just because of their title. And number two, never esteem anyone just because of their personality. There are many good charismatic personalities that are wolves in sheep's clothing. Don't just fall for anything. Don't fall for those two things. A title or a personality. But Paul says we respect. But look what he says. We esteem very highly in love because of their work. So we esteem leaders. The leaders in my life, I should esteem them. The pastors in my life, I should esteem them because of their labor on behalf of God's people. That's it. Like, I honor you for what you do for God and for his people. So I... I, I say this, a man who cannot labor on behalf, who cannot serve God's people is not fit for church leadership. And that's what Paul is saying. So I would like to ask this question, anyone who aspires or, or, or make this statement, anyone who aspires to leadership or growth in God's ministry, here's the question to ask them. How do you labor on behalf of God's people? How do you labor? This is not... The question of what is your responsibility in a church or in a church gathering. What Paul is saying here is, is this is how we serve the household of God even or especially outside of what can be Sunday morning gathering. It's greater and it's deeper than all of this. This is just a platform with titles. What really matters is what happens after we say amen at 12 o'clock. So a person's title is what Paul is giving in his final advice. It's not something that's just given. I hope you see this through the scripture. It's something that's earned. And how is it earned? It's earned because of their sacrifice and their love to labor on behalf of God's people. You will see that Christ begins to give such an individual authority to fulfill in this duty that they're called as leaders. So when believers begin to witness a person that sacrifices and loves God's people and labors on behalf of them, what the, what the witnesses and the outsiders or people within the sheepfold do is, they genuinely begin to esteem such very highly in love because I've seen how they serve God and I've seen how they serve God's people. Church, how do you serve God? How are we serving God in this age that we're living in with many difficulties and many hardships how are we doing with serving God? How are we doing with serving each other?
Because my God, the person sitting next to you, you'd be amazed of how much they actually might really need you. You with me? Don't let this just be a social gathering and we leave and we're not doing life and really, how are you really doing? So three ways in which Paul describes leaders is the title of a man describing him truly for who he is before God and before man. I get your title, but is that who you really are before God and before man? Does the shepherd that is over the sheep live out with a clear and legitimate order of authority? And the last one, do they admonish? Do they caution? Do they correct? Do they warn? Even gently, you could add that. But do they do it? If you're in a church and a pastor is there and he's not warning the congregation at some points, then you got to be careful with that church because every once in a while we need to be warned when we're touching dangerous waters. Warn and correct. I recognize quickly the people that get corrected and they get offended. You recognize they don't understand the authority of God. And eventually when correction comes, they, they eventually, those kind of people, if they don't humble themselves before the Lord, they fizzle out. Why? Because they're their own gods, and God forbid someone ever come to try to correct me. It's the wrong heart to have. There will be no growth in that person. Amen? One teacher puts it this way. He goes on and says, and be at peace among yourselves. With that simple command, Paul and Christians should simply put away all of their squabbles, this preacher says, all of their arguments. And look what he says next. This is a great way to esteem and love the leaders of your church. By putting away all these things. It's such a beautiful introduction in his, in, his final, in his final words in this first letter. So what Paul does next is so graciously how he does it. He takes his eyes off the leadership and he moves it and he focuses on the brotherhood. He focuses on the family, on the sheepfold, on the church. And he jumps in from verse 12 to 13 and boom, look what he says in verse 14. It was just read to you. In the slideshow, he says, brothers and sisters, we, or, we urge you. Everyone say urge. urge. This is such an interesting word, right? I never really use that word. Only when I read the Bible do I use the word urge. We urge you to warn those who are lazy. Did you see the wordage? At least this is in the New Living. But we urge you, um, the, the ESV or the New King James will say, admonish the idol. Encourage those who are timid or encourage the faint-hearted. He says, take tender care of those who are weak. Ever felt weak? Maybe you're here today and you feel weak. And he says this, right after it says, there's people that are weak among you. Look what he says next. Be patient with everyone. So Paul, he's exhorting, he's urging as the new living puts it. He's admonishing as New King James and ESV puts it. He's saying, take it serious. Number one, what does he say? If you're taking notes, you're learning. And it says, warn. Warn the lazy. Warn the one who is undisciplined. Admonish this idle person. This phrase here, if you read it in its text, it's actually, in its proper language, a military term. It's the one who is disorderly. It is the one soldier who is out of rank. It's the one who marches out of step. You've ever been to a place where you see soldiers just marching? For me, it, 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 it might be my, my, um, my, my lack of focus and my ADD. I, I can never, I don't know. 
I see that and I see how they march and it wows me. I, I, and I can't even concentrate on what they're saying and doing. I just look at their feet because I try. Is anyone like me? I see them marching and I try to find the one whose foot is a little off. And I can never do it. I can never do it. I'm like, I'm going to catch one of them mess up. And I, and I can't. They're, they just march in step. Every single soldier marching in step. And I'm, like, I'm going to catch one. I'm going to catch one. And it's, I mean, it's impressive. It really is impressive. And, and Paul is using that term. And he says, warn the one who is marching out of step. That, that one, I got him. I found him. I found the one that's marching out of step. If you ever do find one in that crowd of soldiers marching, you'll see that his one step that's out of step will cause everyone to mess up. So he has a duty among himself to march in order. And marching in order is also his duty to make sure that everyone stays on track. Because it's not just one man for himself. It's me for everyone else here. I need to make sure that my march is right. Because if my march is right, the ones that are marching alongside me will also walk right. Is, not, is that not the Christian walk? And, 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 and these are soldiers. What, what do soldiers do? Well, they fight. They go to war. They battle. It's not an easy life. They train. That's what you and I are. Life is a fight, and it's a battle. And my God, has it not shown us that lately? It's hard, and it's difficult, and things come and surprise us, bam, out of nowhere. And in those moments, how do we march? Because the march of the man or the woman that is in crisis, and they still march in step, is a testimony that God is alive. How do you continue to march in step? I don't know how I do it. Everything's crumbling around me, but the Lord is my strength. Unreal. Unreal. And that's what Paul says. Warn them. Anyone lazy among us, warn them. Tell them you love them, but I have to let you know that your march is out of step. I need to let you know that you're disorderly. I need to let you know that you're out of rank here. So I'm warning, I'm admonishing the idle, the undisciplined, the lazy. Number two, encourage or comfort the faint-hearted. You know what this means? The one who is timid, the faint-hearted. This is an individual that lacks courage. They're not bold individuals. Well, Paul doesn't say, well, get rid of them. Oh, just because someone is not like you, just get rid of them. Don't invite them into your group. God forbid if they're part of your Sunday afternoon lunch group. Paul says, no. Comfort them. They need courage. They need to be bold. Comfort and encourage them. There's they're going through something. They're faint-hearted. Be there for them. This is what the church is to be. And the church says, of course. And number three, you care. You care for the weak, he says. Take tender care for the weak. These are the ones that are obviously without strength. Maybe these are individuals that have gone to serve their own pleasures rather than walking in God's will. So as we're dealing with each other, as we're holding each other up, Paul finishes this thought here with these three individuals that he's describing, and he says, let's be patient. Come on, I think you should write this down in your notes, because sometimes we could feel like, it's, like we're really something. All right, let me just read it. True Christianity is shown by its ability to love and help difficult people. 
I want you to know this. We do not look for only perfect people to minister to and to minister with. But if you do this walk long enough, God is going to put difficult people around you. And if you can't, you're probably the difficult person that God has put around someone else. All right. With that said, I admonish you. Here you go. In God's love. Verse 15. He says what? See that no one pays evil for evil. Hey, Paul's like, hey, hey, church. And the church says, yes, Paul. I just told you to uh, warn the lazy person, the one who's marching out of step, the one that's undisciplined. Encourage the faint-hearted. I, I told you to help them. They need to be bold and care for the weak, the one that has no strength, who has left to, to, to uh, fill themselves in their own pleasures, right? I told you those three things. But now he says this, and church, make sure that no one pays evil for evil, but always, and I love that word, always, always try to do good to each other and always try to do good to all people. When should I do good? He says always. You know, he, he doesn't end just in verse 15. In verse 16, he keeps on, he goes, always be joyful too. So, okay, posh. Your list is kind of intense here. Always make sure I never pay evil for evil. Always try to do good. Now I always have to be joyful. Oh, I'm not done. He says in verse 17, and never stop praying. Oh, and never stop praying? Yeah, never stop praying. Okay, are we done? No, no, no. There's one more. And be thankful in all circumstances as well. Like, come on, who gives that kind of advice to someone that's, how are you doing today? Well, well let me give you something that you should do in whatever you're going through. Ready? Don't pay evil back for evil. Always do good. Always be joyful. Never stop praying and be thankful in all circumstances. <laughs> Amen. Thank you for our session today. Amen. And that's what Paul is doing. That's what Paul is saying. Be thankful in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. And then he goes on to say, everything that I'm telling you in verse 15, 16, 17, and here in 18, for this is God's will for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Wait a minute. If you're part of the sheepfold and you're the church and you're saying you're of Christ, this is your will. This is God's will for you, sorry. This is your calling. So, there, so what is Paul doing just by, by saying, for this is God's will who belong to Christ? He's basically saying, there's no room for justification, excuses, or left turns. You all have to submit unto this because this is God's will for all of you. And then you kind of have to swallow it and say, oh my God, the, the word of the Lord says so. <laughs> I mean, at least when I read it, that's what I say. I, I can't run from that. Verse 18, like, stabs me in the heart and says, this is it. You're established here. Don't fight evil that's done against you. You've ever tried to fight evil that's done against you? You ever done it? I have. I've learned. Don't do it. Don't do it. You know what evil wants? You know what darkness wants? Darkness wants to erupt your life so that you could pay attention to it and you could start fighting against it. Because now, guess what he's going to do? I'm going to start robbing you from your peace. Because now you're so caught up with fighting against me that you've lost the position of being in the presence of God. 
So come, 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 and evil starts to tap at your door in all forms, in all different sizes, in all different ways. And he says, come on, get even, get even, come back. And he could use someone that is very close to you that you would have never thought would have said that about you or done that to you. And the enemy will use just that one person to bring you in. And then what does he do? He steals your joy from the presence of God. Because now you're fighting a battle that you were never called to fight. Because it always, it always belonged to God in the first place. Paul is writing this to the church. He says, don't fight evil that is done against you, but give it to God. It's not for us to revenge, to take revenge. He says very clearly in the scripture, in verse 15, very clear, he says, our response is to do good. So what do I do, Lord? What do I do with this evil that has been done against me? God says, do good. You're like, how? I remember one time I was in a Starbucks and something, um, at least for me, it was something that really was severe and it affected me and it took my sleep away and it took my mind and it took my heart, it took my strength. And I'll never forget this. I was in a Starbucks all to myself with my computer there and I had my AirPods on and I started, I, I think I was trying to prepare a message or a thought, I don't know what I was trying to do and I couldn't concentrate. And I remember, I'll never forget that moment where God just told me just to, to come before him. And in the middle of that Starbucks, I started just to pray. Because I was so heavy, I was so consumed, my mind was so, my heart was feeling all kinds of ways. And right there, I just started to pray. Right there. And the Lord started to change my heart. And he says, stop thinking evil against that which was done against you and start praying for such things. Pray for them with love for them, and stop thinking of them with anger in your heart. And the moment that I started to pray for them in love, to bless them, my, I was set free from my own prison. I was set free. Because my job was never to be angry in return. My job was never to take vengeance. My job was to trust God that he knows exactly what he's doing. And if he's going to take care of this matter, at the end, the fruit will show for itself. Let God do what he needs to do. I just have to pray for whatever the situation is. And that is liberating for us believers. Amen? Don't fight evil. Your response is to do good. And I know it's hard. I've I've gone through some things, and you've gone through some things, and you may even feel like it's impossible, but I'm telling you today that our reaction, our reaction towards any wrong or any evil towards us is to always do good in return. I hope, uh, uh, no, I don't hope that, but I hope that if it were to happen when you walk out of here starting tomorrow morning, an evil is done against you, you say, that's exactly why I had to go to church on Sunday, because I know now that my reaction towards this wrong is to do good. Is to do what's right. In 1 Peter chapter 3, 9, the apostle Peter, not even Paul, but Peter even says this. He says, I'm going to grab two different apostles, okay? We're speaking about what Paul wrote, but look what Peter writes. Don't repay evil for evil. This is, it's all over. And, and this is that I just grabbed two other examples because we could have had a whole preaching just on this. He says, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, you pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. Peter takes it to another extreme. He's like, <laughs> pay them back with a blessing. Like, 
do good and, and be a blessing to them. But you're like, no way. I'm going to punch them in the nose. They like, no. You're going to be a blessing. John, the apostle, in Third John chapter 1, verse 11, look what he says. He says, beloved, do not imitate what is evil. Look what he says next. What are you called to imitate? You imitate what is good. He who does good is of God, and he who does evil, guess what? Has not seen God. Oh, I got to get even. I got to retaliate. Vengeance is mine. Then you haven't seen God. If revenge is yours, you haven't seen God, and you haven't heard the word for yourself yet. If you do evil, if your heart is geared to get back at someone, I'm telling you this truth today. You're giving them the power. You're giving it the power to steal your joy. Peter and Paul and John, they're all saying the same thing, and it's to imitate what is good. Follow what is good. If you've seen God and follow God, then you follow and you imitate what is good. Not only is it a blessing to you, not only will you be set free, but, but, you, but most importantly, it's a blessing to others. Be a blessing to others, but I don't want to be a blessing. I don't want to be a blessing to the one who has, who has hurt me or to the thing that has affected me. And scripture says, no, you continue to live your life on this earth. Be a blessing to them because your response, they'll see God in it. And you might not see it, but you're planting a seed of righteousness. And your good in their evil, your good response in their evil plants the goodness of God in their heart. Hey, guys, so today when you get out of here and someone does something really bad to you or you get this news that's really going to affect you or whatever it is, how are you going to respond? Hopefully is I'm going to do good. I'm going to do what God wants me to do so that others can see God in the middle of this. Amen? And then he says, not only am I done there, he says, but always be joyful, he says in verse 16. Never stop praying. Verse 18, be thankful. Give thanks in all circumstances. He says, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. So listen, church, we know that circumstances change. Today you may have woken up totally different than you did last week, or today may be a totally different day than it was yesterday. Circumstances change, but we live in this truth that God never changes. And those circumstances may change. God doesn't, and Paul says, so we rejoice always because our joy is not based on circumstances because those things always change. Our life always changes. People around us always change. God doesn't change, so our joy... Our joy and our rejoicing always is in this. It's in that God remains the same. Our circumstances change, but God remains. It's in God. We pray without ceasing that we could never be in a place that we cannot pray. You've ever been in a place that you can't pray? You try to pray and your mind's taken off? You try to think about the things of God and you're just not focused? Well, Paul is talking to that person and he says, be thankful, not just be, but give thanks. Be it and give it. So when is a good time to give thanks? He answers that question. He says, this is when you should give thanks. Ready? In all circumstances. And the believer sits down and says, really? Let me tell you the circumstance I'm in. But God says, you have to trust that I'm doing a work. You have to trust that I'm so involved in your life. Just come 
to be rooted in me, rejoice in me, not in all these things that are happening. Find me in the crisis. Find me in the trouble. Find me in all the noise. And you'll see that you will be able to give thanks in all these circumstances. So to be personal with you, maybe anxiety has stolen your gratitude. Maybe anxiety has taken away your joy. Maybe the things that you were once grateful for, the things that you were grateful in, the one that you were grateful towards. Come on, here's the question. What has dimmed, what has robbed your thanksgiving? What has robbed maybe that gratitude? It could have been a circumstance that was out of your control, and most of the times they can be. But the solution for us believers is not to be thankful for everything. But it's allowing the work of the Lord in us to cause us to be thankful in everything. Let me explain to you what I mean. I'm not thankful for everything because then that doesn't mean I don't have a heart. When something very bad happens, I'm not saying I'm so thankful for that. It's not finding thanks for everything because some of those things, I'm not thankful for them. I'm actually broken about those things. Those things actually really suck. Those things are actually really hurtful and painful. So there's no way I could be thankful for them. But it's when God does something in you that though I may not be thankful for it, in Christ I've learned to be thankful in it. Let that, let that really come to a place of understanding in your mind. That wait a minute, I'm not called to be thankful for everything. I'm called to be thankful in everything, in everything, that the joy of the Lord would not be robbed or snubbed or taken away from you. I know that we all have even personalities and different personalities, but that should never excuse us to be bitter, to be sad always. It should not be a reason to always be defensive or someone that to be someone that finds negativity in things or in people all the time or being short-fused all the time in so many different things in so many different ways. Is Christ in the person? Is Christ in me? Is Christ in you? If the answer is yes, if so, always be joyful. Rejoice always. A believer's joy is not based on circumstances. Listen to this but on a growing awareness of God and the certain future that we have of eternal life with Jesus Christ our Lord. That's where my joy is found. My joy sometimes is found on this earth could be very difficult, but I find joy that one day I will be in his kingdom forever. I love this scripture. Forgive me for always reading it to you, but I feel like the more I read it, the more you can rejoice with me. What is this future thing that I get to rejoice in? Well, the Apostle John writes about it in the last book. He says in Revelation 21, I love that in the past, listen to this, only God could do something like this. In the past, in the past, he is writing about something way in the future. And the Lord is showing him a whole different dimension. The Lord gives John a gift and he he. He opens his eyes, scales are removed, and he sees 
so hard to explain this sometimes, but he sees how the spiritual and the natural, the physical and the spiritual are woven together. And we live, we live in this earthly world, but yet it's mixed with the spiritual world. And we're all in this world together. It's, it's, it's all together. It's all here. And John is in the past and he's writing about something that he's seen. And he's seen the spiritual within the physical. And in Revelation 21, come on, I'm going to give you some hope today. I'm going to give you something to rejoice about. Verse 1, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there never be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is Done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning to the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and they will be my children. He will be my son. I rejoice in my future of eternity with Christ. The day that I see this eternal kingdom. So as I get ready to wrap this up, let's keep reading the rest of this text. He says, do not, as you be encouraged, as you trust in everything, life's going to go on in your life. So watch what he says next. He says, don't quench the spirit. Don't stifle the Holy Spirit. Don't scoff or despise at prophecies. But test everything that is said Hold on to what is good and stay away from every kind of evil. Church, as I get ready to wrap this up, I tell you this, don't quench the spirit. We can quench the fire of the spirit by doubting, by our indifference, our rejection of him, by distraction. Sometimes it's others that are distracting us. And when people start to draw attention to themselves, we begin to quench the spirit in our lives and what it wants to do. The word quench is a very interesting word. It means to put the flame out. Some sort of putting out the flame. It's, it's like a fire or a lamp that is being dimmed and shut off. It, it, this phrase can be better translated in our English vocabulary as this. Stop putting out the spirit's fire. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. What quenches the Holy Spirit? Distractions. What quenches the Holy Spirit? Sin in our lives. What quenches the Holy Spirit? Having evil in our hearts to repay. Everything that Paul has, we've talked about. All those things to quench the Holy Spirit if we go against what Scripture says. Don't put the Spirit's fire. How many of you are burning inside? There's a fire that is lit. You're responsible for that, that God's given you. Don't quench it. Amen? If it's run out, you're like, I don't have a fire, right? I feel like the Holy Spirit is not active in me. Well, today's your day. Let the Holy Spirit have you and take you hostage. Amen. 
And also don't despise prophecies. I believe that this is a prophetic word today. The word is a prophetic word. The book is a prophetic book. So today I speak to you in a prophetic language. (laughs) We know that when Paul writes this, just like today, there are many people that are abusing the gift of prophecy. Back then in Paul's day when he's writing this to the church of Thessalonica, listen to this. People were in the church. Watch how things don't change thousands of years later. Ready? People were actually in the church of Thessalonica and they were speculating on the end times. They were spreading rumors and causing people to be all worried about when the end times and when all these things were going to happen. And they were actually setting dates on it. We have books today of people that have written on the exact date when all these things are going to happen. And they've been wrong year after year. They've been wrong. We know the time, Scripture says. But the Lord says, no one knows the day or the hour. Oh, my Father who's in heaven. And Paul had to address the false prophecy. And I'm sure there were people who were abusing God's people who didn't have discernment. Who listened to any kind of voice that claimed, thus saith the Lord. And if, and if it was, thus saith the Lord, then I have to hear what it is for me. People call themselves prophet. They put big, their big word prophet on billboards. They come to your town and they pack up stadiums because we're coming to hear from the prophet of God. Because people lack from hearing from God themselves. So they have to go. And they abuse people because they don't have any discernment and any wisdom to know what is really of God and when things are not of God, and, and I tell you that just because of wolves and they might be in sheep's clothing, we should not jump always, though, into despising prophecy. But Paul says, though there are wolves in sheep's clothing, there are people that take advantage of others. Paul is basically telling us to use wisdom, and he says, test everything. Evil and deception can show itself even in a spiritual gathering. I remember, I have so many stories that I could tell you about this, but I don't even know if I should share one, but but I'll I'll never forget many of them were, one time I took our youth, when I was a youth pastor, and we went to this person's church that was having a guest speaker prophet someone, and the person began to speak, and I would never forget just red flags and alarms were going off, and I said, this is not biblical, and I had a decision to make as a leader. And I said, what do I do? Do I respect this house and I respect this guy and I just sit here and I just go through it? Or do I save and I help the ones that I'm leading? And I grabbed all our youth leadership and I said, get up, 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 get up. And they all started to spread like the telephone game. Pastor says, get up, get up, get up, get up. And everyone stands up in the middle of this person preaching and we start walking towards the back. I said, get in the van, we're all, or get in the cars, we're all, going, we're all leaving, we're getting out of here. Because at that moment, I had to take care of the, our sheep. And there was no way that I was going to allow them to sit under that person's teaching. Because I felt at that moment, by what that person was saying, this was straight from the depth of hell. There was nothing biblical about this. I'm telling you today, it happens in spiritual settings. But as Christians, we test everything. When we test 
What do we test? We test according to the standard of God's word. What does God's word say? And when we come to get to know what it says, we hold fast, Paul says, to what is good. We, we hold fast to the true word of God. So if we hold fast to the true word of God, what do we do? We throw away what is bad and what is not of the Lord. We have no room for it. We're called to be God's people. Amen? So then I end and he says, Now may the God, verse 23, of peace make you holy. He says, Be sanctified in every way. May your whole spirit, look at this, may your whole spirit, soul, and body, look at the order. May be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen. For he who caused you is faithful. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. The apostle Paul says, greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy or a sacred kiss. I love that. It's a holy kiss. It's a set-apart kiss. It's not a perverted kiss. It's not with an agenda behind it. Our greeting and our doing life with one another, it's a holy thing. It's a sacred thing. Amen? I command you in the name of the Lord to read this letter to all the brothers and sisters. May the grace of our Lord Christ be with you. So what is Paul saying as he closes? Be sanctified. Be set apart completely. In what? In what? In every way, he says. He says, let your whole spirit, let your whole soul, all of your soul, all of your body, look what he says, may it be kept blameless. This is my final advice, Paul says. The idea behind the word sanctify is we know that it's to be set apart. To make something different, to make something distinct. Breaking away from the old man, breaking away from the old associations and forming into the new associations, the new man and the new things that God's called us to. I read this and I want to share this with me. It's not from my own mind. or my. It's something that I read and I wanted to share with you. It's like a dress. A dress is a dress. It's a perfect example, but a wedding dress is different. A wedding dress is sanctified. It's set apart. A wedding dress is special, and it's for a glorious purpose. And that's exactly what God wants us to be. He wants us to be set apart just to him. A dress is a dress, but if I say I'm going to pick you up, we're going to go have Burger King in a little bit, you're not going to wear a wedding dress to go have dinner with me at Burger King. It's not happening. Because that wedding dress is sanctified. It's set apart. It's for a purpose that is special. And Paul says, that's what we're called to be. Set apart, distinct and different at all times for a glorious purpose, set apart unto him. People are wearing dresses maybe, but you're called to wear the wedding dress because you are the bride of Christ. Don't ever take off your dress. Don't allow it to get full of spot and blemish. Keep your dress blameless before your beloved. Your whole spirit, your whole soul, your whole body, your whole dress. Take this advice. Church of Thessalonica. Take this advice, Church of Nest. Take this advice. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here.
that feels quenching the spirit is what they're doing. Their dress has been spotted and stained. Their heart has repaid evil for evil or they're planning on doing that. Joy and thanksgiving has been taken away from them. Lord, there's so many different avenues that we touched up on today. But I pray that today, wherever we are, that every single one of us, Lord, we'd come to follow your word. And then we will say, Lord, give us thanks in all things because I haven't, have, I haven't had the ability to be grateful lately, thankful lately in all things. Give me joy and let me rejoice again because I feel like circumstances in life has taken away my ability to rejoice. Lord, remove all obstacles and patterns and distractions that are causing me not to be set apart. I'll be the first one to stand up here, Lord God, in transparency and say, Lord, forgive me of my sin for they've separated me from your righteousness. Cleanse me and make me whole. For I am a sinner, Lord. And I need forgiveness of my sins. The ones that have happened and the ones that were premeditated, forgive me of my sins, Lord. And allow me to dress in the wedding dress for my beloved. That we would take this advice. And that we would be set apart for you are set apart. That we would honor those in our lives and that we would be honorable to those in our lives. That we would live for others and most important that we would live for you. Thank you for your word. Your word teaches and says it all. Help us to fall under its authority. Help us to fall under its goodness. It's not a yoke of bondage, but it's one of grace. And allow us to put on this trustworthy and true and graceful word of God. Let us put it around our necks. Let us put it in our minds. Let us put it on our hearts and our spirit and our souls that they would never depart from us. These words that are true. I just want to spend a moment in prayer if there's anyone that just needs prayer, maybe something in here, maybe you're quenching, maybe you're not sanctified, maybe you need help, and maybe you just want to come, to, come up on your knees, I invite you to come up. If you can't bend on your knees or whatever, you could stand up here if you want to stand. If there's anyone that wants to come up here and just pray for someone or, or just need prayer, someone's going to come alongside you in the church and just pray with you. We're going to open up this front here for a moment if you feel like you need prayer. You heard the word of God today and you're like, Lord, I relate to this. I pray that you would do this work in me. The front is open. You're more than welcome to come up and get on your knees, come up to pray. Some of us are going to pray with you. If not, as Tito's just here, just we'll take a few minutes. Can you just sit in his presence for a little bit? Can you just pray to him? Everything that was just said and taught, can you, can you let your mind sit <clears throat> in this and and just talk to God according to what we just read today. Talk to God about all these things. Take a moment. And if people come up, if you feel led to pray for some of them, 
and you need to come alongside and have patience. And as we said, encourage some of the people within our church. I invite you to come up and maybe put your arm around them and, and pray for a brother. Brother, pray for a brother. Sister, pray for a sister. So we invite you to do that as well. Let's, let's spend a few minutes just coming under his word and asking the Lord to fill us this morning. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you, Lord. You're good, Lord, and you're faithful. Lord, we trust in you. Lord, we place our hope in you. We pray, Lord God, that you would comfort, that you would strengthen, 
that you would cause us to march, stay in rank, that you would give us boldness, courage, that you would give us discernment, wisdom. We're living in a harsh, crooked, dark, perverted time. And this is why you have us here. To be your remnant. To be your light. To be your bride in a world that is quickly perishing. So I pray for every family, every person represented here. For those that will be watching, are watching, will those that are traveling, those that will be coming back, Lord, that you would build us up to be such a people. Thank you for your truth, Lord, for your word. We can't run away from it, Lord. All we could do is stand before it and look at ourselves as a man does a mirror. That your word would show us our blemish, your word would show us our growth, your word would reveal the the true character of the one that looks into it. The true posture of the heart of the one that's looking into it. And I thank you for the mirror of our lives that shows us who we are because no one in here can say they're walking in the secret of life and they have it all figured or we're all growing and maturing and we're all dealing with all these things. I pray, Lord God, that you would Continue to do a mighty work of growth and maturity in all of us. Bless every family, strengthen every family. Let us be thankful and grateful, joyful in all things. Not Maybe not for all things, but, but that it would not be robbed from us that we could be all those things in all circumstances. So Lord, we thank you for such a beautiful morning, a beautiful Sunday that you've given us. All we can say is that you are a faithful God. And we just love you for that. You're so good. It's in Jesus' name. And together we say, amen. And amen. Thank you, Lord. Such a good God.